Hi, everyone. You are listening to Start Inspired. I am your host, Samantha March. This is my podcast designed to give you a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation, helping you start inspired and stay inspired. I am so excited about today's episode because it is going to be all about writing your book. I get pretty flooded with requests and uh, questions to talk more about being an author, um, the publishing process, kind of behind the scenes when it comes to the industry or questions about self-publishing. I get a lot of them. So I've had on my list to do a whole episode uh, about writing a book and also the publishing process as well. Some of the pros and cons of traditional publishing and self-publishing and just some tips and advice along the way. If you do not know, uh, my name is Samantha March. I am a self-published author of eight novels. I am currently working on my ninth one. Uh, I am also a book blogger. I uh, have worked in freelance in editing, in proofreading, in book marketing. I have worked at uh, book publishing companies in a variety of different areas as well. And I have been working in the book industry for 11 years now. So Uh, I'm really excited to share this with you, things that I've learned along the way, some tips and advice that I wish I knew when I was just starting out, and I sincerely hope that you find this helpful or there's someone perhaps in your life that you can share this episode with that you think that they'll be able to take something away from. So that is what I'm going to jump into first, and I am going to finish it off with two segments. I do have a book of the week recommendation, and I'm also going to chat a little bit about our 30-day challenge calendar at the very end. So I hope that you enjoy. Hey everyone, so really excited to jump into the chat about what do you do when you want to write a book, if you're an aspiring author, if you feel like you have an idea that you just really want to get out there. So I have, let me look at my notes, I have eight different kind of checkpoints, if you will, that I have written down here that I want to share with you. Uh, They do mostly go in a chronological order, except for the first one, because I think it is the most important one. So I wanted to kick off with that. And the first thing is I get I get a lot of emails and comments and messages from people saying, you know, you really want to write a book. What would I suggest? I get comments from people asking about uh, self-publishing. How do you actually go ahead and self-publish and make your books available? I get questions about how to hire editors and cover designers because you have this really great idea for a book. So the number one thing that I always say back to people is to write your book. If you want to write a book, if you have an idea out there, or if being an author is something that you really are passionate about and you have this idea and you want to get that book written, you have to write the book. Before you do anything else, before you think about hiring an editor, before you start sketching what the cover is going to look like, before you even really decide if you want to go into self-publishing or traditional publishing, you have to have this book written because a lot of times that is a very time-consuming part of it, especially if this is something that you are doing on the side. Or even for me, even though being an author is one of my full-time jobs, it is one of my full-time jobs. I do a lot of different things and I wear a lot of different hats. And to actually write a book is a, can be a very long process. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of planning. There's researching that you have to do. I mean, sometimes you got to pull up the thesaurus. There's a, there's a lot that goes into writing a book. So you have to just get it written before you think about all of these other next steps. It just seems like whenever I get these messages and emails, there's always people are always thinking about what comes after you write the book. What are the next steps you should take after that? But you can't focus on that until you have a manuscript. You can't focus on that until you have your book written because it could take you a year to write your book. It could take you three years to write your book. So what I'm telling you now or referrals that I give you now, that could be completely changed in three years when you have actually written your book and you have something to go off of. You now have a cover to design. You now have a manuscript that you can message an editor to to get your rates on. You can't do any of those things until you have your book written. So number one, you got to write the book. 
before you think about anything else. Get that written. And then like I said, I am going a little bit in reverse because number two, I wrote down to plan the book. And I do think this is important and not just planning down what's going to happen in chapter one and what's going to happen in chapter two because every author and every writer is going to be different in what works for you. I actually do not plot out chapter to chapter. I know my characters. I know what they're doing. I know why I'm writing the book. But there's a lot of what I don't know. I just start writing and it flows for me. Sometimes I get very surprised at the things that happen in my own books. If you have read The Sixth Scarlet, I was very surprised by one of the main plot points in that book. That was that I did not know when I was planning the book. That just came out during writing and I had to figure out what to do with it. But try to plan your book the best you can. At least know what genre are you writing are you writing a women's fiction novel? Are you writing chick lit? Are you writing a thriller? Are you writing a suspense novel? Are you focusing on more of the nonfiction genre and maybe going into a self-help? What, what are you writing about? I think it's definitely so important to at least know your genre, but also what is your, what is your beginning? How are you starting off the book? How are, you, how are you bringing your readers into it? Because you want to hook your readers in the beginning. The first line of a book is always really important. That's something I try to remember. I always try to have something catchy be right in that first line, the very first thing that you open it up with. Um, but also, what is, your, what is your peak? What is that main plot point? What is that main plot twist? What is that main OMG moment? And then what is the ending? You know, sometimes I don't really know what my ending is going to be because sometimes I have an idea of what my peak is going to be, but I'm, but I'm not 100% sure how I want the ending to be, but I have a general idea of how it's going to wrap up. Um, I know the time frame of my books and I know how long each of my books are going to last, meaning like time-wise in the book. So the sixth series is actually pretty quick. The first one did take a span of a couple months, but but the next two books that have followed in the sixth series, these events that are happening in there are taking place within a couple of weeks. It's kind of like a wham, wham, bam type of book. It's not stretched out over a long period of time. And also, of course, so important is who are your characters? Who are leading the story? Who is driving the story? Do you have one main character? Do you have two? Are you going back and forth from their point of views? Are you writing in first person? Are you writing in third person? Uh, if you are new to writing, if you haven't written a book yet and you're not sure, I would suggest start writing and see what comes the most naturally for you because it's it can be different for everyone. Some can excel in first person. Some are more naturally com comfortable in third person. And as long as it makes sense to the book that you're writing, you know, you do, of course, want to stick with that throughout the entire book. You don't want to be switching back and forth. Another thing with characters is, you know, write down your main characters. And what I like to do is interview them because this helps me get to know them. So instead of just writing down, you know, okay, my main character is Christy Martin. She is a guidance counselor at an elementary school and she's single. I need to know more about her. So I will interview her and I will come up with certain questions like, what's your favorite social media app? And I'll write that down for Christy and have her answer it. And I'll write down, you know, what are your nervous tics or what is a word that you repeat a lot? These are characteristics that make people real. But think about it. Think about yourself for a second. What is something that you repeat a lot? And maybe you don't know it yourself because sometimes we don't realize it, but you can ask someone close to you like, is there a word or a phrase that I reuse a lot? For me, it's all that. I say it in YouTube videos all the time and I always get comments about like, wow, you said and all of that 50 times in this video. And I'm like, yep, it's, it's a phrase that I reuse. <laughs> or uh, what is a nervous tick that you have? Or what is something that you do when you're bored? I had a friend, I still have this friend who does not look like she would be a hair twirler at all. But when she gets really animated in a conversation, she, without a doubt, she will pick up a piece of hair and start twirling it and twirling it and twirling it. And I think it's a hilarious characteristic because it's so unlike 
her, <laughs> but that is something that is you know, unique to her that makes her her. So that's something when you're writing the books, you want to have these little pieces of these characters work their way into the stories because it makes them real. And it reminds your readers of who they are. So when they're reading a scene and you don't want to stop every five seconds to say, Christy said, Scarlett said, Lauren did this. That is where you have those little things that make the characters themselves. That's when they come into play because then the readers will know who they are reading about without you having to tell them. You want to show, don't tell when it comes to your readers. If we ever do an episode about editing, I could get into that more, but that's kind of like a golden rule is show, don't tell. Show what your characters are doing. Show what your characters are feeling. Don't just tell the readers how the characters are feeling. You know, we can't just say, Christy felt sad today. We have to show how Christy felt sad. Did she not get up from bed all day? Did she cry when she saw a certain social media post? We want to show and not tell. But in order to do that, we have to know our characters and we have to know them really well. So take time to get to know them. Take notes on them. Save Word documents to your computer if you must, but get to know your characters. So that is number two, doing the planning. That typically can help to do this before writing the book, of course. But again, I just wanted writing the book to be number one because I do think it's the most important. Number three that I have written down is to research other books that are similar to the genre that you want to write. So once you've planned the book and you know the genre uh, and you, kind of, you, you, know, you have an idea of what your characters are, look up other books that are similar. And one of the biggest reasons I say this is because I want you to look at the word count of other books in your genre. Typically, they are going to be in the same wheelhouse. Now, not every single chiclet book is going to be 50,257 words on the dot, but there is typically some sort of ballpark figure that you want to hit depending on your genre. So chiclet is oftentimes a lot shorter than, say, a literary fiction book. Literary fiction books are generally much longer and much lengthier, whereas chiclet is a little bit quicker. So if you're writing chick lit, and especially, this is an especially important tip, if you are wanting to get an agent or if you're wanting to pursue the traditional publishing path, if you want to write a chick lit book and you turn in a 150,000 word manuscript to an agent, chances are they're not even going to look at that. Chances are they're not even going to read the first page. Because they're going to know that the book is going to need a lot of work in order to be represented as a chiclet book. So they know a lot of work is going to be put into that. And they're also going to know that you probably didn't do your research and you didn't know that there are certain parameters that make chiclet work best in that genre. So they're going to know those things. So that this is a really big tip. This is something that I learned fairly early on in my career, and I was super grateful to know that because going to write my first book, which I ended up rewriting full on four different times. I, that's a whole other podcast episode. But I learned on, I think it was like draft three to start to look at different books and look at their word counts and aim for that. Because when I sat down to write my first book, I thought, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how many words I'm trying to get out there. I don't know how many words per chapter it should be. I mean, I'm just, you know, I was just kind of bumbling my way along until I heard that piece of advice. And I was like, wow, that's a great one. And it's something that I've heard several times over through other authors, through interviews, through um, like business conferences and all of that. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. I 
I just did it right there. <laughs> a phrase that I repeat often. But I do think it's a really good tip of advice. And if you're just starting out and you are really unsure, you know, definitely go ahead and look at that. Another thing when I was told to research the other books um, that I thought would be similar to what I was publishing was to look at uh, who the agent is. A lot of times authors, uh, a lot of times it's going to be like in their acknowledgement section, but they're going to give a shout out to their agent or to their editor. And then you can look them up and see if they're taking on new clients. So if this is, again, if you want to go into the traditional publishing route and you do want an agent, but you're like, wow, I have no idea where to start. But you're like, you know, I think my book is really similar to this one from Sophie Kinsella or Emily Giffen or Jennifer Weiner. And you think this is going to be really similar. Go pop into one of their books and see who they think in their acknowledgments and then do a Google search. Look them up, see what agency perhaps that they work with, see if they're open to taking on query letters. And you know, it's a start. It's a start. All right. So say that you planned your book, you know your genre, you've interviewed your characters, you got a timeline going on, you've researched other books similar to your genre, you know how many words that you're striving for. So going back, you know, make sure that you write it. Again, I know I put this at number one, but it's really important. But we're coming down to um, that you're going to write the book, maybe create a word count goal um, daily or create a word count goal weekly. Uh, Make sure to reward yourself when you hit those goals. That's something I like to do for myself because especially because I do so many things, uh, I like to give myself little rewards when I hit 10,000 words in a manuscript, 25,000 words in a manuscript, and so on. But after you finish writing the book, the fourth step that I wrote down is to self-edit. This is something that I do think is important because sometimes, and especially because I have worked as an editor, I've worked with a lot of different authors through publishing companies and then also through my freelance work. There is times where truly authors will get done writing their books and just sit back, write the end, dust their hands off and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and send this to an editor now. Especially if you are just starting off and this is your first book that you're going to be writing, I highly recommend that you self-edit. Now, that is not where I suggest that you stop the editing, but I do think self-editing is important. Read it back and read it back all together. Read it out loud. Reading it out loud is something that might sound very strange, but it can really help you see if you've missed a word or if something doesn't make sense. Um, So, I, I mean, I think my husband is pretty used to hearing me talk to myself, whether it be in my YouTube videos this podcast, even doing something like Marco Polo with my friends where I'm kind of having my own one-sided conversation for a while. But he also doesn't blink an eye anymore to hear me pacing around my office reading my book out loud because I just want to read it back. I want to hear it for myself. I want to take notes. I want to fix any any errors. One of the classic things I do is to have the character wake up on a Monday and then go to sleep on a Wednesday. <laughs> I always seem to mix up my days. So taking notes, making sure all of my days are in check. And again, this is something that an editor is going to help you with. This is something that you're going to pay someone to make sure that you don't have those mistakes in your book. But If you send in something super unpolished and something that needs a lot of help to an editor, you're going to pay more for it. So this is for me speaking as experience as being an editor. I would charge different rates per how much work I thought I was going to have to put into your manuscript. And I know a lot of editors do work off this way also because that is how I learned how to set my rates as a freelance editor. So when I would have... Uh, an author come to me to say, you know, I, I want editing. First of all, there's a lot of different types of editing from content editing to line editing. So you'll just want to pay attention and um, look to see the different services that the editor that you're going with offers and ask them questions. Editing is a very expensive part of publishing a book. When I got my first quote, from my first editor back in, it was probably 2009, 2010, when I finished writing Destined to Fail, and I got the quote from an editor, I cried because I thought, oh my gosh, I just wrote this book and I'm so excited and I can't afford to pay that for editing. Eventually, we did end up working it out, 
And again, that can be a whole other podcast topic too, all about editing. Um, But just so you know, editing is very expensive, but it's going to make sure that you're not putting out a book full of mistakes. It's going to make sure that you're not putting out a book where your character wakes up on a Monday and goes to sleep on a Wednesday, where your character has blue eyes in the first chapter and by chapter nine, she somehow has green eyes. I mean, and those are just little things that they're going to help you fix. And they can also help fix, you know, holes in your book, plot points that don't make any sense, Uh, a a plot point that you started in chapter three and then was never heard of again in your 20-chapter book. Editors are wonderful, but it is also, and I I can say this as, again, my experience being an editor, it is very time-consuming to edit books. So obviously they are compensated very well for all of their time that they're putting into it. So going back to the self-editing, like I said, I suggest this because when an author would send me um, a query saying that they wanted to work with me and what are my rates, I would always write back and say, please send me minimum three chapters. Usually with three chapters of a book, I can I, I have an idea of how much work I'm going to have to put into it. And then I would have three different tiers One would be like, this needs the most work. This clearly hasn't been self-edited or it just needs a lot of work. And then I would have the the top tier of like, you know, this this is really well written. Um, Even the grammar is really good. I don't like I'm already pulled in from the first three chapters. Like I I don't think I'm going to have to put as much time into this one. So and then there's also that middle tier. And then each tier would have a certain amount of cents that I would charge per word. So again, I'm going to charge more for something that needs a ton of work. I'm going to charge less per word for something that doesn't need as much work. And that is kind of how I would scale my uh, editing submissions that came through. And again, it's going to vary from editor to editor, um, but... Typically, if you send in something that needs a ton of work to an editor, you're going to have to pay more for their for their time and for their services. Whereas if you can have your manuscript in a pretty good shape, you read it back, you've you've you know made adjustments where need be and you fix some errors, you will probably save some money in the editing area in the long run. So that's always a good thing. So self-edit, I think, is really important. Moving on to number five, you do need to decide your path. Do you want to pursue traditional publishing or do you want to self-publish? And there's going to be pros and cons to each. So I have self-published all eight of my novels. I'm planning to self-publish the rest of the books in my six series as well. Uh, I didn't have much interest in doing the traditional route when I was looking into, you know, getting more serious about publishing a book, even writing the books. And then what happened after I finished writing, I just didn't feel that pull to go to a traditional publisher. I've always been really passionate about being an entrepreneur, being my own boss, having my own business. That's what I went to college for. I have my bachelor's degree in business with an emphasis in entrepreneurship. It just, that's what I wanted to do. So traditional publishing was not calling to me. Especially in 2009, 2010, there was a rise in self-publishing. Amazon had started a program specifically for authors to self-publish. Kindles and e-readers were becoming more popular. And I thought, you know, this is the route for me. Uh, So that is what I wanted to do. But it's going to depend on what you want to do. So just to really briefly touch on some pros and cons of traditional and self-publishing. I'll start off with self-publishing because again, that is what I do. So with self-publishing, some of the pros is you are your own boss. You're on your own schedule. If you finish writing a book in February and it's edited and has a cover and you have a marketing plan and it's good to go by May, you can publish in May. Um, So you kind of create everything yourself, whatever characters and whatever storyline and whatever genre, whatever you want to write and you want to create, you get to do that. Of course, you're going to have a team around you and you're going to have an editor to, to help you out and make sure everything makes sense. But you get to choose what it is that you want to write about and you get to choose your characters. 
So typically in traditional publishing, it's going to take a lot longer to actually publish the book. There is certain timeframes where you will see traditional publishing companies releasing the majority of their author's titles. Um, the, the time right now, uh, spring, summer, that is when you see a lot of really big names with the big publishing companies coming out with books. So again, you might finish writing a book in February and it's getting Getting all polished up, you might not be able to publish that book until next year, April. That's just how it goes in traditional publishing. You don't really, from my knowledge and from what I've learned and from talking with other authors, you don't really have a say over when your book is going to get published because it is going by industry standards. And also, if you want to write a book about characters that do A, B, and C, but your publisher wants you to write about characters that do X, Y, Z, well, I mean, the the publishers are, you know, your boss. So a lot of times they have very specific ideas of what they want the characters to do, what they want the storylines to include, or what they want the storylines not to include. I mean, they really control what the cover is going to look like. When you do self-publishing, you're in complete control of what your cover looks like, your synopsis looks like, your headshot looks like. You're in charge and you get the final say on all of that in self-publishing. Whereas in traditional publishing, you have someone to answer to every step of the way. You have someone giving you deadlines, uh, which you know can be a pro and a con at the same time, just depends. Um, but in traditional publishing, you will typically have deadlines that you need to meet with your writing and anything else that would come after that, post-writing, um, any interviews and things like that. You're going to have the deadlines for that also. Uh, with self-publishing, so like I said, you're in charge of everything, but also you're in charge of everything. And that is a lot. There's a lot that goes into publishing a book. There's a lot into getting a book ready. There's a lot to do in the marketing arena. And while yes, you are in charge of everything and you get to make your own decisions of how you want them to be done, you also have to be making all of those decisions and making sure all of them are executed and also paying for all of them. You have to fund yourself if you are self-publishing a book. The flip side of that is that you do get your entire royalty. So when you get your your check from, from Amazon, if you do Kindle Direct Publishing, Amazon will take their portion, but then you get the rest of it. Versus with traditional publishing, typically how they work is that if your book is accepted into a traditional publishing company and they say, yes, we want to, to publish this book for you, they typically give you an advance. And that advance is going to vary per publishing company and per author, per book, all of that. But they will give you an advance which of money. So that is to either... Um, be in place of your income or to supplement your income while you are on a deadline to write this book. But then that does also mean that when your book is published, uh, you do have now a publishing company that is taking part of your royalties. They do off often, um, you know, give you a team around you, uh, an editor, you know, someone's going to work on your cover for you, you're going to have your own marketing team assigned to you. But then all of those people do need to get paid. So again, pros and cons of everything, I just wanted to list a few things out for you, some of the main things that I can think of off the top of my head. You know, sometimes it can be really hard in self-publishing when something goes wrong and I feel like I have so many questions, but I'm the boss and I'm the one who has to figure it out and I'm the one who has to get on the phone and be making phone calls to figure out why Amazon is saying that they can't publish my book on the day that I've requested for it to be published. Whereas with traditional publishing, you would have a team and you have someone who does certain research on your behalf or will be there to answer your questions, but it's just going to come down to what works best for you. I do also want to say, because I get this question a lot, but when it does come to self-publishing and you putting your book for sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, etc., there is no cost for that. But again, that is um, that retailer will take a portion of your royalty, but there is no upfront cost to physically 
publish your book. The costs that you're going to be doing are for an editor, for a proofreader, a cover designer. If you have anyone helping you with marketing, those are some of the services that you will pay for when self-publishing a book. You will not pay to actually publish your book on these retailers. And I touched about this in my podcast interview with author Fern Renee, and she mentioned how if you if you find a publisher and they are asking you to pay money, do not do that. Those are called vanity publishers. They're probably not going to do anything for you on your end once you give them your money. Like, sure, they can probably publish your book, but that is it. It is going to be uh, – it's it's just going to be a, a better route altogether if you don't do that because I think a lot of people do think that in order to publish a book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble that you do have to pay some sort of fee for that, and you do not. You do not. So do not pay for a publisher. They should they should be working on your behalf as the author. Again, a lot of the larger publishing companies will offer you the advance. Some smaller companies will not. When I ran my own publishing company, I was not able to give out advances. Um, but that's what we worked out when it came to how much royalties they would get. So if I got to the point where I started to give my authors an advance ahead of time, then they would see a smaller royalty on the other side. But because in the beginning of my company, they didn't get an advance, so they had a larger royalty. But you should not pay anyone to publish your book. Just want to mention that too. All right. So number six that I've written down is hire an editor. (laughs) And then I wrote down, get professional eyes on your work. So I've already touched quite a bit about editing, but it is really important Um, I I know a a lot of people who think that they can just skip this step, but you can really tell. Readers can tell, um, you know, more of the, if you want to say professional reviewers, the book bloggers that are going to review your book. It's pretty easy to spot something that doesn't have an editor. And if you are self-publishing, because editing can be so pricey, this is a step that gets skipped a lot. And it's just it's just a detriment to yourself. It You really need someone to polish up your work. It's such an important step. Um, I highly recommend an editor. I highly recommend a proofreader. I also highly recommend a proofreader, someone to kind of have those final eyes on your manuscript to make sure a comma isn't missed, a word isn't misspelled, you know, all those really important things. You- so again, I know I've touched on editing quite a bit, but definitely wanted to mention that, wrote that down for my number six spot. But moving on to number seven, kind of along those same lines, but this is something that I think is really important, and it is to have what's called beta readers. So beta readers are readers who are going to read your book before it is out there. Sometimes I have my beta readers read my books before it goes into editing. Sometimes it's after editing. It just kind of depends. But basically, you're going to have readers that give you your give you their feedback as readers, not as a professional editor, not as a proofreader, not as an agent, um, and sometimes not even as a more professional reviewer, but just a reader. What did they think of the story? What drew them in? What made them feel things? I think that this is something that is so important and it's something that I didn't realize until I'm going to say my third or fourth book. I didn't realize that beta readers were a thing and how amazing it can be to get that feedback, especially if you are in the self-publishing route. When you are writing your book, it's really just you. And when you finish it, it's just you that's read it. So you might think this is the best thing I've ever written. Definitely going to be an overnight bestseller. You don't know that until you have other eyes on it. And especially as someone who's just reading the book as, you know, I don't want to say just a reader because obviously that is so key, so important. But instead of being someone in the more professional sense who's who's looking for errors and, and looking for ways for it to be the best book, you just want to know how it made them feel, what made them happy, what made them sad, what part made them feel emotions, what characters are they drawn to, what scene did they think was funny. 
those things are so important to know. And I mean, I've, my beta readers, I've used the same two girls now for, I don't know, four, four or five of my last books. It's been a lot of them. And I love these ladies and they are so helpful to me. And they've been able to catch things or um, with the six series because it does follow six different girlfriends to say, you know, I don't think we got enough of this character in the book. Like what, what, like what was she doing? She was just kind of like the outlier the whole time. Like we just need a little bit more of her in order to make it feel well-rounded. Feedback like that is so important because one thing too and why I think hiring an editor is so helpful is a lot of times when we read our own work, we see things how we want to see it or we we know what we want to feel like when we read part of our work, but that is not how a reader is going to interpret it always. I hope that makes sense. And this is another reason why I say I read things out loud because I can read my own book and and know what words I have I have put so much into this book. I've written it a ton. I've read over it a ton. I know what I want certain sentences to say and my eyes can skip over the errors because I know what I wanted to say. So even though I am a certified editor, I can't edit my own work because I know what I wanted to say and I know how I want to feel and I know how I want my characters to come across, but it can't just be only me. I can't just be relying on myself to do that. That's why I also have to hire out for that. So beta readers can be super helpful and where to find them. And this is just another piece of advice too, but is to try to find like-minded people. This is why I started my blog all the way back in 2009. I knew I wanted to write a book one day, but I knew no one in the industry. I had no connections and I wanted to change that. So I'm not saying that you have to go out and start a blog, but you can at least be looking for other book blogs. You can join Facebook groups for aspiring writers or or Facebook groups that focus on a genre that you want to write, and then you can make connections that way. Social media is such an amazing tool, especially as I'm recording this podcast in the middle of May of 2020. Social media and technology is what we are all leaning on right now. I just spent my entire day in a virtual summit with um, with brand owners and those who run influencer marketing because we can't physically go anywhere right now. We can't physically attend these business conferences. Everything is virtual. So that's what I've spent my whole day doing and learning that way. So lean on technology. Um, follow people on Twitter. Follow people on Instagram and engage with them and organically meet people that way meet people in the industry. And then once you've written your book or you're really close to writing your book and you're like, hey, you know, I have this friend who I talk to so much on Instagram. Maybe I could ask if they would be interested in reading my book. And you can reach out and say, hey, you know, I just wrote this book. I would love, you know, I know that we have the same taste in books and I've seen that you really like this author. You know, would you be interested in reading mine and giving me any feedback as a reader? Number eight, I have create your publishing plan. And this includes a lot of different things. This includes what you want your cover to look like and researching different images for your cover or taking your own photos for the cover, what your title is. There's times where I've thought of my title before I started writing the book, during while I was writing the book, and then after. I remember with this six series, I could not figure out what I wanted to title the books. And actually, my beta readers helped me decide what to title it. I had fully written Christy. It had gone to an editor and it was to my beta readers with no title. I had no idea what to call that series. And it was one of my beta readers said, since it's a sixth part, why don't all of them just be the sixth and then who the character is? I was like, oh. That's actually a really great idea because especially when working in a series, I'm like, I want all of the titles to make sense so you know that they're all in the series and it was just perfect and I just, I didn't have it in me to think of that title and luckily someone on my team could come up with that for me. 
You'll also want to write a blurb, which is what happens on the back cover of the book, or if you click on a book on Amazon, the the short description of the book. That is one of the hardest things to write. It takes me forever to write my blurbs, but that's really important because it's going to hook the readers. If someone is just browsing on Amazon and clicks your book, they're going to read that synopsis first, and you do want to pull them in. And of course, you also want to be thinking about a marketing plan. This is all things that happen after you have planned and researched and written your book, after you've done your self-editing and you've gotten a team around you, and also really if you are in the self-publishing space because you are going to be doing this yourself, so you want to come up with these own plans versus if you are in traditional publishing, they're going to really they're going to be the ones in charge of what your cover looks like of helping you write the blurb and also creating your marketing plan so if you are in self-publishing you will want to have a plan i do not recommend just uploading a book to kindle direct publishing and crossing your fingers that a ton of people are going to buy it especially if you are not a celebrity or uh insta famous or a huge youtuber and you don't have any sort of following your the book sales are not just going to come you do want to have a marketing plan together you do want to have a way to um to have reviews coming in for your book reviews on amazon are so important um you're going to want to have different marketing tools getting out there in newsletters getting featured on book websites different things like that maybe putting some ads together on Amazon or Instagram or whatever it may be. Obviously a ton of social influence at the moment and when you are nearing finishing writing the book and putting it all together, highly recommend that you have a marketing plan um, when you actually do release your book. That way you see sales, of course. That's what we want when we publish a book. We want people to be reading it and we want people to be enjoying our work. So That is everything. I tried to get through that as quickly as I could, Uh, but those were my eight key factors when wanting to write a book, whether in traditional publishing or in self-publishing. I really hope that someone found this helpful. Um, If maybe you are not super interested in writing a book, but you have a friend or family member who is, and especially during this time, maybe someone is at home more and able to have more time to finally be able to work on that novel that they've been thinking about. I would love if you wanted to share this podcast with them or on socials, uh, and hopefully something I said helps someone who is listening. If you do have any other questions for me, though, you can always uh, tag me anywhere on social media. All of my handles are always listed in the show notes, or you can email me at startinspiredpodcast at gmail.com, and I am happy to answer any questions. But I'm going to finish off this podcast episode with two segments. All right, just finishing off the podcast this week with two segments. I do have a new book of the week. I just finished a really good book. And then I also wanted to touch in on the 30-day calendar challenge. I hope that you took it on. If you haven't yet listened to that podcast episode, uh, I believe the title is just something like create your own 30-day challenge calendar. I highly recommend that you listen to it. And I just wanted to touch base on that shortly also. But to get into my book recommendation, I just recently finished the book, Darling Rose Gold. And this is by Stephanie Robel. I'm not entirely sure I pronounced her last name correctly, but I will link this in the show notes. I haven't written my review yet for my blog, which is Chicklet Plus. I do all book reviews over over there. If you're ever interested in a book, I do a bunch of different genres, mostly women's fiction, chiclet, thriller, suspense. I like a lot of psychological thrillers or even just kind of like these more psychological twisty books, which is how I would describe Darling Rose Gold because it's not necessarily like thriller and it's not suspense in it's suspense but in a different type of way let me just tell you about it and try to make sense here but um so reading from the synopsis it says for the first 18 years of her life rose gold watts believed she was seriously ill allergic to everything used a wheelchair always at the hospital um but turns out her mom patty watts was just a really good liar After serving five years in prison, Patty gets out with nowhere to go and begs her daughter to take her in, and the entire community is shocked when Rose Gold says yes. So basically, Rose Gold's mom, her entire childhood, 
was making up illnesses that her daughter had and the community would do fundraisers for them and, you know, provide them um, money and support and all of it was a lie. All of it was a lie, which is so fascinating to get both sides of the story, both Patty and Rose Gold, and to try to understand it. And so we do kind of go back and forth uh, between Rose Gold's childhood and then also when she learned that her mom essentially, I mean, destroyed her childhood and her chance at a normal upbringing was completely destroyed because she's still feeling the effects of certain things like her teeth are completely rotted from all the times that she would throw up from her mysterious illnesses as a child and obviously psychologically she is so affected by what her mother did but it was very interesting when her mom was released from prison and rose gold did take her back but we kind of also get the sense that rose gold has a plan because also in the synopsis, the first line is mothers never forget, daughters never forgive. So we know that Rose Gold is up to something. Don't really know what, don't really know how it's all going to work out. But one of the first things we learn is that Rose Gold bought her mom's childhood home. So when her mom gets out of prison and she picks her up and she drives her to the childhood home, her mom is not thrilled because she actually endured a really hard childhood in that house. And so you kind of, and Rose Gold knew that. So you're kind of wondering and thinking like, wait a second, what is Rose Gold going to do here? And this is a book that I was reading while eating my dinner, because oftentimes I read while I eat. (laughs) If I'm by myself, if I'm by my husband, I, I don't read my book. But a lot of times I'll read while I eat and something happened that I almost choked. And I immediately put it on on Instagram stories, you know, with a funny like OMG face. And so many people were like, what book is that? What were you reading? I had to link it in my stories so people could check it out. And I was like, you guys got to read Darling Rose Gold because it's fascinating in a very psychological sense. There's nothing to, you know, I don't, I don't like horror. I don't like gory. I don't even a lot of things when it does come to like certain things like murder. I can read that in thriller and suspense, but there's like a certain level that I don't want to get to. You really don't have any of that in here. It's all mind games. It's all mind games. And it's fascinating to read these two women and what they do. It's also very sad when you think about Rose Gold and you think about the life that she could have had if her mother didn't make up all of these illnesses when she was younger. But it's such a good one. I think it would make for a great book club read to hear everyone and what they had to say about it. And I would just highly recommend Darling Rose Gold by Stephanie Roble. All right, and then to finish it off, I am having a segment every week in the month of May be about the 30-day challenge calendar. So again, if this is something that you haven't done, I really recommend that you go back and you listen to that episode because I talk about why I started making 30-day challenge calendars for myself last summer, why I decided to take it public on my platforms, why I decided to create an entire private Facebook group all around the concept of creating these 30-day challenge calendars for yourself to really be your best self. It's something that I'm very, very passionate about and something that I do every single month for myself. It was really amazing in the private group to see so many people share their calendars and their goals. I do always have my group linked in the show notes also, but it's just facebook.com slash groups slash secret Sam squad. And it's so fun over there. We talk about so many different topics from makeup to books to the challenge calendar to different goals, helping each other out. It's a really, really fun group and I enjoy it so much. But What I wanted to talk about this week and for the challenge calendar is we're about halfway through the month of May, and this is when I recommend to have on your calendar to check in with your goals and check in with yourself. So even if you didn't start the challenge calendar in May, when you started the month, think back. Did you have a goal when you flipped the calendar and you saw that it was Friday, May 1st, where you're like, you know what? This month, I really want to do this. 
This month, I really want to achieve that. How are you doing? Are you there? What can you do? How can you make sure that by the end of May, you have made significant progress on your goal or you have been able to check that off your list? Something that was a goal of mine in April was to clean out and organize my kitchen pantry. It's been a mess forever. And I gave myself little goals to do that. Like day one was to just clean it out, throw away anything that was expired or not using. That was just one day. And then the next day was to pull out um, pull out the products and then start to put them back in in a more organized fashion. Another day was to pull out all of the appliances we have in there, the toaster oven and the Keurig and all of that, and clean and organize them. So I gave myself little bite-sized chunks throughout the month to finish this one goal. So at the end of April, I could cross that off my list. So I just really want you to check in with yourself. Of course, if you made the challenge calendar, I hope that you put it on your list about halfway through the month to check in and see how you're doing. What do you need to work on? Um, Is there something that you need to change perhaps? But also, even if you didn't make it, think back to the beginning of the month. Even if you didn't tell yourself, this is something specifically that I'm trying to focus on, maybe just think about what you were trying to achieve this month or something that was important to you this month. Maybe write it down right now and try to work on it throughout the rest of the month. But um, I I really want to say thank you to everyone who's been emailing me. I've been getting a lot of email requests helping put a calendar together even more than I did um, in that episode. And I love doing that. I I really do enjoy helping any way that I can. So if you have any questions or you want to get started or you got started but you're not sure how to continue, you can always feel free again to reach out to me or if you're listening to the podcast, that podcast email is a really easy way to get to me because only people who listen to the podcast know about that email, so it's a lot less uh, cluttered than some of my other inboxes can tend to be. So always help, happy to help out, but uh, we're about halfway through the month of May. Check in with yourself. What else do you want to achieve throughout the month and how can you make that happen? But that is where I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I know I've gotten so many requests to have an episode all about writing and publishing. So this was kind of a an overview of that. If there's anything more specific that you want me to get into, please just let me know. And I'm so happy to make those podcast episodes also. I do have some authors scheduled to be on the podcast as well. I believe I am going to have one next week. Thursday is going to be an author also. So I really hope that you enjoyed that chat. Uh, But I hope that you enjoyed this one. I hope that you took something away from it. Again, if you share it, that's always so helpful. Or if you want to rate and review on wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast, that is always so helpful to me as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week. 